0: The text for our sermon this morning on Transfiguration Sunday is from the gospel reading, but also keeping in mind what St. Peter teaches us in his epistle about the Word of God. That true glory is hearing Jesus' absolution and receiving his peace. That he gives us a promise accompanied by the sacrament. And this is where we find our true glory here and now. Peter said, they saw the majestic glory of God on the mountain, but we have something more sure, the prophetic word of God. And also this verse of the gospel. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, rise and have no fear. When they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. God's grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is good to be here, as St. Peter says. I uh, missed you all this last week and last Sunday being down in Guatemala. As you can tell by my voice, they worked me hard down there. (laughs) Mixed concrete, I preached a lot, I spoke a lot, did a lot of devotions. Um, I worked harder down there than I do up here. It was a joy. I'll talk about it in Sunday school a little bit today uh, to let you know and have a few pictures to show you. But God's grace, of course, to you this Transfiguration Sunday, it is good, Lord, to be here. True glory is hearing only Jesus and receiving the peace that he grants to us in the sacraments. Jesus takes some of his disciples up on the Mount of Transfiguration, and he does what you might expect God would do. He shows them his glory. They sh- he shows them his divinity. They climb up a mountain and there God does what we might expect. But sometimes, you know, we aren't always so pleased with what God's glory is. Sometimes we aren't so pleased with the mountain climb, if you will, of life. Sometimes we don't like the glory of God, but we prefer the glory of man. St. Peter in our second reading warns us of this. When we start to look away from the promises of God in this life and we seek the glory of man, when we seek cleverly devised myths, that in this life we'll always have our victories, that in this life, life will go the way we want it. That's when we begin to lose our peace. Elijah and Moses, in a sense, are a perfect example for us to find our glory in Jesus. Elijah, if you remember, was on a mountain one other time before we find him today. Elijah was on Mount Carmel and there he defeated hundreds of prophets of Baal. There he saw victory, there he received praise and adoration because of the work God did on that mount. And after he was handed a mighty victory, Elijah became disappointed. Elijah was ready to die, to take, even to give up his own life, to die. He said to God, am I the only one left who's faithful? Am I it? Am I all that I have? Am I all alone in this world? Sometimes you may feel that way too. Like Elijah, you may feel all alone. But God came and told Elijah, not in impressive thunders, not in earthquakes, not in shows of glory, that everything is going to go how you want, Elijah. But God gave Elijah his word, a promise to believe in. He said, No, Elijah, I give you a promise. A promise that if you endure in the faith, if you persevere in a life of faith and trust, a life of repentance, everything will work out. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. Moses too, the second character we see on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus... Moses, too, was at many times disappointed with his mountaintop experience, what he thought should be the glory of God. Moses, too, wasn't exactly happy with the climb that God put before him. Moses was disappointed with the fact that God called him to lead his people. While Elijah was all alone, Moses was always surrounded by people, and Moses said, Lord, I'm not a good leader. I can't even speak well. Moses perhaps wanted to stay home each day and watch soap operas instead of leading God's people and fulfilling his vocation. He wanted to find the glory of God elsewhere. If you remember, Moses didn't believe the Word of God was able to produce water from a rock, and so he hit it. He hit the rock to produce water when God told him to preach to it. Moses didn't believe the Word of God to be sufficient to produce and bring forth a life that Moses thought he wanted. So we see today in our our transfiguration, we see two people who God called to live by faith and trust in him and who at times strayed from that path, but look where they appear today. God kept them faithful and he will help you too. So on the Mount of Transfiguration, we not only see Moses and Elijah, that God preserved them, that God kept them in the faith, but we also see Jesus. Moses and Elijah, they see Jesus too. They see the fulfillment of all the promises that God made to them in the Old Testament. They see that God was faithful, that it was all worthwhile. Jesus is there and he shows his divinity. Now, all along in his his climb, in his walk, in his vocation as a Savior, Jesus did show his divinity. He did miracles. He healed people. He spoke with the wisdom of God, but yet his glory was was hidden. And many rebuked him for this. Many rebuked Jesus for not doing majestic displays of power like he does on the Mount of Transfiguration. They wanted him to do miracles on demand, Jesus, do this for us. Jesus, do that. Make us more bread. Make this life victorious, Jesus. They said, even when he was on the cross, if you are the Son of God, show us. People thought there must be more to God than just a man like Jesus that if they kept climbing, if they kept looking, they might find in God a glory that pleased them according to their desires. But Jesus says, when you see me, you see the Father. When Jesus is on his way to the cross, he says, Father, glorify thy Son. But no, we fallen humans, we want to set a glory, we want to see a glory, that might set us apart from others, that feeds our pride. We want to climb a mountain of faith, or so we might think, that brings us glory. That we think our idea of life, our fastest way to the summit of glory should be the things that we like. A glory that we can even claim as our own trophy And how do we get that glory so often? We do it by stepping on others. How often we seek a glory that comes at the expense of others. How many people do we have to step on to attain our climb into glory, to receive praise and adoration? in order to be set apart in this world, we think we need to receive the glory of man and so we have to put others down or we have to put down the callings that God gives us in this life, our vocation. We don't want anyone else to have glory. We're willing to step on them because we think glory is a zero-sum game. And you know, in a sense, we're right. That is the glory of man. The glory of man is a zero-sum game. But even worse, even worse, when we work hard, we do think we're faithful. We do things and we don't receive the recognition we think we should. We pour ourselves into work, tasks at home, tasks at church. And we get no recognition. Or maybe even perhaps, maybe God is stealing your glory. You don't like where God has placed you in life. You don't like your spouse. You wish you had a spouse. You don't like your family. You don't like your parents. You don't like where God has called you. We wish we had something different, a glory of man, a more glorious life. And the disciples, it wasn't just Moses and Elijah, the disciples too. Remember John the Baptist was in prison and he asked if Jesus was truly the one to come. Or should we wait for another? Jesus, when he told the disciples he'd be arrested and put to death, do you remember what Peter said? Peter said, no way, Lord. That would never happen to you. That's not glory. That's not an ideal life, Jesus. And Jesus answered, get behind me, Satan. You are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. The things of man. That's what our gospel reading begins by saying six days later. The things of man is what our our reading six days ago is what Peter was focused on. And this is what Satan wants to set before you as true glory too. The things that tempt you. False promises of a glory and a perfect life according to your standards. Peter warns us in the second reading that the church might be tempted to lay this before people as a way to grow the church. False promises of glory that this life is not going to be difficult. Peter warns in the second reading, we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Might be tempting to devise clever myths that promise the glory of man. That follow Jesus and all your dreams will come true. You'll never have a hard day in your life. But Peter says that's foolishness. Because that's the glory our flesh desires. But God has something much more enduring than the things that rust and moth and criminal can steal in this life. We are just six days past the lesson of glory. Jesus takes the disciples on the mountain. Jesus will show them glory. He was transfigured before them. It truly must have been glorious. Truly must have been breathtaking. This transfiguration might be what we would all desire to see, to feel and witness. Peter said it's good, Lord, to be here. Who could blame him? But then Peter says something That is a little bit in error, maybe. He says, Lord, would you like me to make three booths or three tents here? One for you, one for Moses and Elijah. The structures that Peter suggests, we think, might be a recognition of the Feast of Booths. That Peter thought, here and now, the Feast of Booths is meeting its fulfillment And that Feast of Booths was a a celebration in the Old Testament that God gave his people where they built tents or booths out of sticks outside their homes. And they lived in these booths for a week. And it was a reminder of God's people that they, as they wandered in the wilderness, living in booths or non-permanent structures, that when the kingdom of God comes, they'll no longer be pilgrims in this life but they would have a true and everlasting dwelling place. We think Peter may may think that the transfiguration is the culmination of God's kingdom coming. The fulfillment of all their hopes, their desires, and their longings to find the glory of God, to finally leave all the sadness and disappointment of this life, that here on the Mount of Transfiguration is truly a mountaintop experience. Peter, he's wise, but he's mistaken. He sees Elijah. Micah the prophet said Elijah would return when the Messiah arrives in glory. He sees Jesus' glory. Elijah and Moses, it all makes sense. But then Peter had not been listening. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. A voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased, listen to him. Peter hadn't been listening. Peter was looking. And that is what leads us astray too when we take our eyes off Jesus, when we stop listening. Peter was using his eyes and the Father reminds him, use your ears. But you know who was listening? Moses and Elijah. Moses and Elijah, two of the most prominent figures, they're listening. Because Moses and Elijah know now fully that God is faithful. They know that it's all been worth it. All the suffering, all the perseverance. And in fact, I imagine they probably wish they could have endured more for the sake of the kingdom. They know that God has not only given them what he promised... But now they know it's better than anything they could have imagined. That staying the course, a life of repentance, a life of faith, a life of listening to Jesus' word is where true glory is found. Because that's what brings glory to Jesus. And look at the disciples, they weren't so afraid when they saw the glory of Jesus But now as they listen, as the cloud descends on them, like the cloud on Mount Sinai, when Moses got the Ten Commandments, the cloud envelopes them, it envelops them. They hear the Father's voice, then they are afraid. Because if God's glory is as man's glory, they have every reason to be fearful. If God seeks glory as we seek glory, they indeed are right to fall down in fear for who can stand in the presence of God. If the glory of God is the glory that we so often seek, the transfiguration is indeed terrifying. If God seeks glory as you seek glory in stepping on others, putting down others so that you can be number one, then indeed, the disciples should be afraid. If God sees glory as a zero-sum game, then yes, the disciples should be on their faces. If God sought glory as you and I seek glory as a competition, then yes, all hope is lost. But you see, the story doesn't stop there. Because God's true glory is not on the Mount of Transfiguration. But God's glory is on the cross. The transfiguration teaches us who it is dying on the cross. For on that mountain, on the Mount Golgotha, this is where God reveals his glory and shows us. Without the cross, the Mount of Transfiguration is meaningless. Because if Jesus doesn't die, then he is just like any other man seeking his own glory. But he does die. Because God seeks a glory that is good for everyone else at his own expense. In fact, the whole world. God's glory is not when he steps on someone or he accomplishes great things for his own glorification. The glory of God is that you are forgiven all your unglorious sins, all the times when you've yelled at God, all the times when you've been tempted to give up and maybe even have, God's glory is that He forgives you. God's glory is that we are forgiven. All the times we've sought glory at the expense of others, Jesus goes to the cross and dies for the sins of the world, even your sins because that is the glory of God. He is not like us. He dies, he suffers, he is stepped on, he is cast out from the land of the living so that we would be rescued for eternal life. He bleeds so that those who are bloodied and beat up would be healed. Jesus did not point his finger at God and say, I'm not satisfied with my calling. I'm not satisfied with what you have given me. But he rejoiced to endure the cross. Because that means then your sins are not held against you. Jesus did not step on the lowly, but he gave a shelter for them. Jesus did not seek his own glory, but he sought the cross. He turned his face like flint to the mountaintop of God's love. Because in the forgiveness of sins, you are truly glorified. God is glorified when sinners are forgiven. And that's the picture of God's glory. And as the disciples, they heard the words, as they fell on their face in repentance, what next did they hear? What next did they feel? We hear Jesus touched them and absolved them. Rise and have no fear. The touch of God now is not found in some highfalutin feeling. The touch of God is not some mystery, except if you would call the sacrament a mystery. And it is. It's a mystery above all mysteries that the God who shone on that mountain would give you forgiveness free by the body and blood of Jesus. Isaiah says he's a man of constant sorrow that Jesus is so that he can help us who are depressed and sorrowful sometimes. His glory is to know your every struggle and then rescue you, to promise you a kingdom and things of glory that no man, no force, not even the devil can take away from you. But don't be looking for rescue according to the eyes of man. Remember what the father said, listen to him. As the disciples are no longer looking with their eyes, but in repentance have their face bowed down in confession, what then do they hear? Rise and have no fear. They heard Jesus' absolution. When you wonder what Jesus might have to say to you, listen, rise and have no fear. And when your eyes are fixed on Jesus, you won't see your problems. None of the things that have brought you so much fear, when you live a life of repentance and faith and listening to Jesus, he will chase them all away. And all your sins will be gone and you will see nothing but Jesus only. And may the peace that surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen.